Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. We are uh, wrapping up our summer series where we have been over the last uh, seven weeks, eight counting this morning, uh, focused on four uh, topics and trying to just like take two weeks on each topic and kind of uh, dive into each of those things. And hopefully it's been a blessing to you. Just a reminder, uh, we know there's a lot of travel and a lot of other stuff that's going on in the summer. So you can always catch up if you want to at cbcjoy.org and listen to those messages that you might have missed. We began this summer by uh, taking this passage from Galatians chapter 4 where Paul writes to some followers there in that city and says, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. We took a look at spiritual formation and how important it is for Christ to be formed in us and for us to be formed more and more into the image of Christ. Then the second topic we looked at was marriage and family. We jumped from Galatians into the book of Ephesians and in Ephesians chapter five, we saw how we have this call to mutual submission. And in the call to mutual submission, we are called as husbands to live a particular way and we are called as parents to live a particular way. So we took a look at spirit-filled uh, husbands, what, uh, how we're called to live and be at, with our wives and then spirit-filled parents. What is it that we're called to do as we lead families, uh, not only in the everyday practical realities of life, but also in their growth in and faith in Jesus Christ. Then we move to authenticity and uh, we spent two weeks talking about first, we want to make sure that we ourselves are bona fide believers, that we're not fake that we are actually real life, authentic followers of Jesus. And so we talked about that. Then we transitioned into how we want to have, as bona fide believers, we want to have genuine community with each other. So we want to be able to share our real identity with each other. We don't want to be afraid to be honest and open and transparent with one another. Certainly along those lines, we need to sometimes look at our own emotional health and whether or not we're in a place where we are able to share from a place of health or maybe we're dealing with some dysfunction and we need to address that issue. We also talked about how important it is for us to have that openness and transparency as it relates to the way we deal with spiritual failure in our lives. That is sin. When we blow it, when we mess up, when we fall short, when we disappoint each other, when we disappoint ourselves and when we disappoint God, we found that it's important for us to, yes, confess to our father, but there's something also very real and very right about confessing our sins one to another. And of course, scripture calls us to do just that. So spiritual formation, marriage and family, authenticity, and then as Dan mentioned in his prayer, Last week, we started talking about generosity. The idea of someone being generous is this, and I gave you this de definition last week. It's showing a readiness to give more of something, not just what's expected, not just what's necessary, not what's, re what's required. How do I meet the obligation? But a heart of generosity is where someone has a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. We, we told a little story, you remember, about uh, the dad and his son Marcus, right? And the dad bought his son this Happy Meal. And of course, the son invested nothing into the Happy Meal. It was none of his dollars that bought the Happy Meal. His dad just gave him the Happy Meal. In fact, he only wanted fries and his dad gave him more than what he actually expected. And you remember that when dad tried to reach across the table and maybe just sample a couple of those great, golden, delicious French fries... Marcus built that fort and said, dad, these are mine, right? 
And it's a little window into sometimes when we think about, and, and what was our focus last week? Our focus was on all that God has given us. Because remember that, yes, are we, are we called, and we're going to talk about that actually today, about, uh, about how we are called to be generous people. But at its core, right, what Scripture is all about is about God giving to us. And again, of course, he gives us much more than something like a, a three or four or whatever dollar Happy Meal. He gives us himself. And in giving us himself, of course, we know that Jesus becomes the embodiment of generosity, right? We talked about that last week and how Jesus gave himself to us. He was willing to do it. He didn't take, no one took his life from him, right? Jesus said, I give my life up voluntarily. He was joyful as he gave his life up, as he gave for us. He was purposeful in that he was doing it to redeem us to his father. And he was sacrificial, of course, ultimately giving his entire life. Like I said, certainly scripture is all about God giving to us, but it also contains things about us giving back to him, about our response to his generosity, that we would be people who are generous. And certainly when we talk about generosity today, I don't want you to only hear this about, I know, I know what you're thinking, right? It's related to, the, to, to money, to our cash, to our wealth. To our, to our financial resources. And I recognize that we're, we're kind of shy when it comes to talking about money. Actually, we're probably a little bit more scared when it comes to talking about money. We don't want anyone to know how much money we have, how much money we make, our credit card balances, the, 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 the kind of consumer debt that we might have, anything that involves our money, we, we're pretty like protectionistic and I don't want to say secretive, but we're at least pretty private about those kind of things, right? I understand that. And so as we talk about us giving today in a response and living this lifestyle of generosity, yes, does it touch our financial bottom line, generosity, a heart of generosity? Does it affect our, the, the way in which we invest in churches and ministries and people financially? Absolutely it does. Excuse me, it does. But it also reaches much more than that. I recognize it can be uncomfortable, it can be uh, intimidating for us, but then we realize that these, these kind of interesting things, God in, in inspired, you know, the writers of scripture to talk much more about things like our resources than even things like heaven. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven. It's kind of interesting, right? I, I think we, we kind of understand because we understand how important our resources are to us. So when we talk about generosity, when we, when we talk about stewardship, Mark and the, the story we're going to look at from the, from the gospel according to Mark today, he didn't record Jesus' reflection on this particular woman's actions so that it be, could be used for a church's capital fund campaign. That wasn't why it happened or why Mark recorded it. Paul didn't write his stuff, uh, his offering instructions to the Corinthian church to help congregations with their stewardship emphasis annually, right? That wasn't the purpose of it. Stewardship of our blessings and a heart of generosity are integral parts of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, simply put. 
It was interesting, like, I, I found it interesting at our last membership class, uh, Dan Arbeiter, who just did the announcements, our executive pastor and myself, led, uh, I think there were like 23 people, which was awesome at our last membership class. And we were, we were talking about membership versus partnership and how we don't want people to see this as you have the country club member card, but instead we want you to understand that you're an investor. And, and so we kind of had gone through the, most of the entire night, probably two and a half hours, and, 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 and one guy kind of at near the end kind of put his hand up and he said, hey, uh, uh, so are we going to talk anything about the whole financial part of this thing? And, and, and I found that somewhat refreshing. I was like, wow, it's kind of nice. You said it. And now I can just kind of answer your question rather than people thinking, you know, this is like this big appeal for money. And, and around here at Calvary, if you've been here around here a while, this is not something where we're always hounding you for money. You know that, you know, our hearts, but again, and that's why instead of making it something where we're, we're, we're constantly begging for money or time or investment, instead we're trying to help people to understand that it is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is the perfect embodiment of generosity, and if Luke 6.40 says, no student is above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, you guys have heard me say this so many times, this, this passage, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, then we need to grow in hearts of generosity, right? And so as such, we're going to talk about what does it mean for us to embrace generosity this morning? How do we? It's a response. We, we know we, we can only love because God first loved us. We can only serve because God first served us. We can only be generous because God was first generous with us. Our generosity is a response to his. And, I, and at the outset, don't want you to ever think this is about you paying him back for what he's done for you. That is not how God sees it. Instead, he sees it as a loving response to his loving action for you to give you his very self. So we're going to read a story today. Something that happened uh, and was recorded in Mark chapter 12. You can look at that on your phone or if you happen to bring one of those things like those old paper things called an actual Bible with you today, you can use one of those. Bring it up on, on whatever device you have as well. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible, verses 41 through 44 from Mark chapter 12. There is some debate among scholars of whether or not this event actually happened. Some people uh, suggest that it isn't uh, an actual historical event. I'm not in that camp. I, th I would lean much more heavily toward the fact that this is something that Jesus actually observed. But there are parallels of this story in ancient Indian literature, in ancient Buddhist literature, and even also in Jewish literature. Very, very close parallels to this very story. But I'm going to trust that when, when Scripture says, again, as we begin that passage, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowds, I'm going to take that simply straightforward and say this was an event that Jesus himself witnessed and used it as a teaching moment for his disciples. So follow along as I read that passage. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all 
she had to live on. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would keep any of my random thoughts out of what I'm about to share. Keep my opinions out of this. And instead, Lord, just help me to be a conduit for your voice to us as, a, as your people this morning to understand this, this story, but also this idea and this concept of us being people who lives, live lives of generosity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The picture on the screen is a portion of actually something that somebody painted in a worship service in 2016 as the pastor was teaching on this. I thought it was pretty cool and wanted to, uh, to share it with you. And, and in that passage, you saw that what happened was in different translations, it says it different ways, but this poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. Uh, these, this coin that she dropped in, uh, first off, you might say, well, what, what is this treasury thing? It, we're not sure exactly what it means when, when they talk about the treasury. Uh, it's possible that what is being referred to are the 13 trumpet-shaped boxes that exist in the court of women that women and men could both access with their offerings. That's a little bit of a later tradition. We're not sure if that's exactly what Jesus is referring to, but it might exactly uh, be that. The temple itself was a very extravagant place, ironically. It was uh, somewhat ostentatious. It's actually twice the size of Solomon's temple. So it consisted of multiple buildings. And at this time, and this this was uh, what's known as King Herod's temple, it was one of the largest and most extravagant and magnificent buildings in the ancient world. And so in this building walks in again this poor widow and she came in and put in these two small copper coins. These coins were something known as a lepton. Uh, we do not have a denomination of currency as small as a lepton. A lepton is the smallest available denomination of another measurement of currency than the word was used in the, in the ancient world. It was the least valuable coin of this period. It was, uh, our, this translation, which is the ESV, English Standard Version says copper. Uh, some, trans, uh, some, some scholars suggest it was a brass coin. It's always a very small value coin and it's equivalent to an eighth of a part of something known as an Assyrian. An Assyrian is a word that we also see in scripture when Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Now, some translations it says, and that's from, from uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Some translations it says in that particular passage, penny, half penny, or the old British word farthing, which is four ten, uh, 40% of a cent. So a lepton is worth about one-fifth of a cent. So what she is dropping into the offering is about half a cent. That's how much she's putting in. So that, that the, the stage is being, again, 
very ostentatious wealth. In fact, there, there, so much money had been given from the Jews all around the world to this temple that there was a golden vine that the leaders of the temple decided to just kind of continue to run as a measure of, of the generosity that people had given and also kind of like a, a display of the wealth that they had accumulated among themselves. In fact, many scholars, when you read, it, read on this passage, say the unfortunate part is the leaders of the temple at this point in history would probably waste what she was given, giving to them, but that didn't stop her from doing what she did. So why did she do it? And in fact, why do we embrace generosity? Why am I calling this, uh, this response uh, for us as disciples of Jesus to be generous? Why is that important? Number one, embracing generosity is a reflection of God. When we see Jesus, as I said last week, we see God. Jesus is the clearest revelation of God that we have. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are the people who have taken up his ministry. We are the people who have heeded his call. That is, we have denied ourselves. We have taken up our cross and followed him. If we are disciples of Christ, that's the response that is on our life. So when people see us, they should see Jesus. Jesus said in John 13, 34, love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. When you think about generosity, there's so many things that we could say there. Just as I have given to you, so you give to one another, right? Just as I have shown grace to you, so you show grace to one another. Because again, ultimately, it's all about us becoming like Jesus. God gave everything in the person of Jesus. God did not hold anything back. Generosity has its roots in God, not us. It's not something we invented. It's not a human construct. It is a divine action. The only way we know how to be generous with each other is because we are created in the image of God and he has demonstrated perfect and complete and total generosity toward us. It's the only way that we know what it looks like because at our hearts, at our cores, we have a very different orientation. Our natural orientation is to what we have that we will, you know, keep. That's our natural orientation. That's the non-disciple orientation. That's who I am. What I have, I keep. After all, just like Marcus said to his dad about those fries, dad, they're mine. You gave them to me. They're mine now. Sorry. Should have thought about that before you gave them to me, dad. And as infantile and, and, and like ridiculous as that sounds, we're a lot like Marcus. With our little hands, our puny little arms around our little fort, building this puny little fort around this little happy meal of a life that we have saying, it's mine, mine. Right? It's real. I get it. I know. How many times have I said to you guys, I said to the husbands, guys, I don't have this all figured out yet. I'm not living it in perfection. I said to the parents, same thing. I talked about spiritual formation. I'm still much in process too. You think I don't struggle with this? Well, sorry, I do too. I live where you live. I'm a human like you are. I have that same kind of blood coursing through my veins. And so I understand the generosity of Jesus ironically, was imitated in the life of the widow. 
Remember, God gave all he had. He held back nothing. She gave all that she had. She held back nothing. Though monetarily speaking, her offering was insignificant. It would have been just as good for the temple for those two coins to fall on the floor, get swept up and thrown in the garbage. Half a cent. Who cares? Insignificant. But it was all she had. As far as scholars can tell, she was not forced to do this. She did it because she wanted to do it. Her generous actions seem inspired and motivated by her passionate love for God. And, and I think it's not wrong for us to assume that it was in response to what God had done for her. And what he had done for her, she was responding to, and she gave all that she had. It's a reflection of God. When we are generous with each other, when we give each other more than what we even could expect or need, we are reflecting the heart and mind of God himself. Secondly, embracing generosity is a display of gratitude. Generosity in the lives of God's people has always been a way of saying thanks. When the Israelites in the Hebrew Bible hauled in their tithe and brought, in, brought their tithe in from the first fruits of their produce, it was a way of them saying thank you. Thanks to God for the blessing of the harvest. Their offerings to people who were in need was a way for them, for, way for them to, to say thank you. As they cared for others, they were thanking God for the manner in which God had cared for them. The widow of our story, she had almost nothing. So, socially speaking, she was on the outside looking in. She didn't have a male connection. And so because of this, she didn't have that connection in her life. She was, she was even somewhat religiously, spiritually limited for what she could be able to do or experience. I know that sounds odd, sounds weird, and it is abs it's not right, but it is the way it was for her. And so because of that, you, you look at that and you think, well, what does she have to be thankful for? How, why is she displaying this gratitude to God by giving all that she has? Evidently, she doesn't see herself as poor. She must see herself differently. In fact, her action seems to indicate that she somehow, someway, weirdly, strangely, she thinks she's blessed. Blessed to the degree that she's going to give everything she has to that offering, like I said, to that treasury, which, by the way, was, there was a strong likelihood it would be misused by those who were in leadership at the time. This widow had the gift of life. She lived in the reality that she was a child of God and she responded with generosity. Now you think about your life. I recognize in this room, hundreds of people, there's a, a huge continuum of what we would say of those who have experienced success and maybe not so much success. I get that. But I would like for us just to consider whether or not in our hearts there is anything for which we could demonstrate gratitude by being people who live out of generosity. You have new life in Jesus Christ if you've received him by faith. And again, as I said at the beginning, there is in no way any sense in which you can ever pay back, pay God back for what he's done for you. That's not what this is about. But for us to be people who are generous and say, thank you, is a right and a good thing. 
And the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, this is what we've received from the generous, lavish, loving heart of God. We are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. It can't be moved. It can't be taken from us. We have something, regardless of our financial statement, regardless of our health, regardless of age or any other factor of our life by which we measure success. We who have received Christ are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. And so what does the writer of Hebrews said? Say, I'm sorry, let's continue to express our, our gratitude. With this gratitude, let's serve in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe. Thank you. It's a reflection of God when we're generous. It's a way for us to display gratitude, to say thank you. Third, it's an assertion of trust. The widow in this story did not have anything left, right? She had given it all. About the other givers, Mark says, they, gave, they all gave out of their surplus. She, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave it all. In doing so, she demonstrated her trust that God would provide for her the next day. Now, I think she has a recognition in that particular system. There was a, there was a, a, a what, what would you would call a provision made for the widows who were living in, in this time in Jesus. In fact, you can see a little allusion to that later in the early church when in Acts chapter six, the Grecian widows, those who were non-Jewish, were upset because the Grecian, the Grecian actually the Grecian believers were upset with uh, Hebrew speaking believers because the Grecian widows or the non-Jewish widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, which alludes to this reality that existed in her life where she would not starve. She, there were provisions for her. At the same time, we can see that she is, trust, she is trusting God for even what, something that she may not even know where it's going to come from. Not just her meals, but other expenses for which she could probably have used this money. And of course, that's why Jesus makes such a big deal of it. I think we, we, we and, and, and here's the point where it get, becomes very sticky. So are you saying to me, Pastor Dave, then, then that means I should get, give everything I have? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that this is prescriptive. I'm not saying that this then serves as a command that everything we give or that everything we have should be then given over to God. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm suggesting that there was something right about the manner in which she gave. There was something right about her heart because Jesus said so. <laughs> he said it was right. He said what she did was more beneficial and, and, and more, in a sense, more related to the, to the way in which a disciple lives than the way in which the people were giving out of their surplus. So I, I'm not suggesting that that means that it needs to be a carbon copy for the way in which we respond to that, but I think what it does is it challenges us to our heart in the manner in which we give. Do we give to that point where it requires us to have a bit of faith, a bit of trust? Or are we only giving out of our surplus, making sure that we give in manner that will always have what we want, need, expect, and require covered? And then what's left, we give. I remember when I was a young pastor, there was a guy who had been a Christian quite a long time. 
And he was quite a bit older than me. And I remember him saying this. And even as a young believer, it didn't strike me as right. He said, well, here's the way I see it, Pastor. I give my 10% bill to God and the rest I can do with whatever I please. I was like, hmm, I ain't sure that's right. And I think, and that's, that's interestingly enough, that's exactly what Jesus is alluding to here when he talks about the, what's happening in the lives of, of, of the people that are giving versus the manner in which they give for the other people and the, versus the manner in which she gives. The people, the other people who are giving were most likely giving in a very calculated manner, in a very like what is required of me manner. This is, what, this is what's necessary. This is what I, this is what I need to do. Reminds me of, of, a, of a story I read this week about a guy who was struggling with his giving. He had given, he had been a, uh, something known as a tither. A tithe is simply one-tenth of, of an income. It's something that existed in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish uh, kind of way of doing faith. And so there would be this one-tenth of their income that they would, they would give over to, the, to the, their uh, religious leaders. And so this guy, this Christian, he did that. He practiced that. He had, he had done that since he was a young guy. And he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, like, you know, now if I tithe, I'm making so much money, I don't know about this. It had gotten to a level like where this whole tithe thing was like really becoming a little bit of an inconvenience to him. And he said, can you help me? And the pastor said, why don't we pray? And he said, that's great. And so the pastor prayed that the guy's income would be reduced down to the point where he felt comfortable enough to tithe again. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's the way we see life, right? As long as I can be comfortable, as long as everything, I have every other base covered. Yeah, I'm not against being generous with my time, with my energy, with my talents, and even with my money. But I want to make sure I'm taken care of, right? The heart of what she did was that she wasn't sure how everything was going to be taken care of. The last thing I'll say, I need to move on here and wrap up soon, is I would suggest to you, and in a way, when we embrace generosity, it's an attack on the king. What do I mean by that? <laughs> I think we are the biggest enemy that we have to defeat. Our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our desire to have things to ourselves. That's the king of our life. We're the king. And in many ways, money and stuff just becomes sort of like a, you know, a, a symptom of a, of a deeper root cause of our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, what we, a uh, portion of scripture we often re refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had talked to them about two treasures that they would lay up, two visions where they would fix their eyes, and now he transitions in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24, toward uh, also then a more foundational kind of question. He speaks with them about two masters. Who are they going to serve? And in that, he says in Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, 24, you can't worship two gods at once. 
loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. You can't worship God and money both. Some of you might have a translation that uses the word mammon. You might like, what is mammon? Is that something like that manna stuff that they got back there, that, 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 that bread stuff? Mammon is not an actual uh, translation. It's a transliteration. It's a transliteration of an Aramaic word that simply means wealth. So you, that's why oftentimes in our English Bibles, we see the word money. You could also use the word wealth. And Jesus here raises the stakes and he helps them to understand that something's going to have your heart. You can't be divided in this. It's either going to be one or the other. And when we embrace a lifestyle of generosity, I would, I would suggest to you that it's an attack on the other one that's trying to be king of our life. It's dethroning the king that so oftentimes has such a death grip on our lives. And so when you think about generosity, I'd suggest that you think about this passage that, of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6. I expect, I, I, would, I would also suggest that you reflect a little bit more and meditate on this, this story that we find, this event of the widow and her offering and what Jesus has to say about it. And as you do that, again, I, I would encourage you to remember this idea of generosity is a progression for us as disciples of Jesus. And it's having that posture of being willing to give more of something than is necessary, required, or expected. We're gonna spend some time in worship here at the end of the service today. As we do that, I wanna invite you to stand. I wanna pray. And then the worship team's gonna lead us in a couple of closing songs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this that we've learned today and the challenge that's there. It's a real challenge for every one of us. It takes the work of your word and your community and your Holy Spirit, God, to bring us to a place where we can actually have the same sort of heart that that widow had. We're, will, we're willing to give, Lord, in a manner that in a way doesn't really make sense. I know that's challenging, God, for us. I, I know it's challenging for me, just to be honest. I pray, God, that you, again, would help us to cultivate a, an environment and a community of generosity here in this church where we're not just focused on what is obligatory, what is required, what is expected, but instead, how can we give? Give of ourselves, give of our lives, give of our treasure, give of our talents beyond just that requirement to bless others in a response to the incredible blessing that you've given us. Amen.